Welcome to the Social Dallas Podcast. Today you will hear an uplifting message. Our hope is that your relationship with God would flourish like never before. Who's ready for the word? Who's ready to get into the word? Come on, let's do this, let's do this. Oh, I did write a book. Oh yeah, I wrote a book, okay. I wrote a book called Brainwashed because I believe that you need to uh, activate the power that's available to you to renew your mind. Come on, God can bless you, God can want to bless you, but you can see yourself as a victim and that's a mentality that you need to overcome. God can want to bless you, but you can see yourself as, uh, as what the Bible says, as a grasshopper and other people as giants, but insecurity is in your mind. If you don't know my testimony, my father, my biological father took me to a crack house when I was five years old, okay? I am the poster child for I should have been dysfunctional. My dad took me to a crack house at five. My biological, my mother, my my mom was pregnant with my older sister when she was 13. My mom didn't just drop out of high school, she dropped out of middle school, okay? Uh, Three of my aunts are prostitutes, all of my uncles are alcoholics. I've met most of my cousins behind a glass uh, wall because they're incarcerated. How many of you know though, I'm the first Orango to own property. I'm the first Orango to be married. I'm the first Orango to be a preacher. I'm the first Orango to sign the front of checks, not the back of checks. I'm the first Orango with employees. I'm the first Orango to walk in prosperity. I'm the first Orango to hold a microphone and declare the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm the first Orango with an undergraduate degree, a master's degree, and soon to be a doctorate degree. Baby, I'm the first Orango but I got news for the devil. I'm not the last. I'm the first Orango, but I ain't the last Orango. Baby, and I came with some good news that generational curses only have power if you believe in them. I did not believe I was a statistic. I never believed that I had to be what the enemy wanted me to be. I did not believe that I had to measure up to my family's expectations. I believed I was just so crazy enough to believe when I got saved as a teenager that when Jesus said you can be born again that I could actually be born again. Come on, because God doesn't judge you based on your first birth. He judges you based on your second birth. I believe that when I got born again that my biological father's DNA stopped running through my veins and Jesus' DNA started running through my veins. I actually believe that my, my, my biological father's blood no longer ran through my veins, but the blood of Calvary started running through my veins. And so all of the lessons that I accumulated over the years of how to overcome depression, how to overcome anxiety, how to overcome victim mentality, how to overcome unforgiveness, how to overcome traumatic memories, hello. All of the lessons that I learned on how to actually renew my mind, I put in this book, Brainwashed. And uh, I'll be signing books today because this is my home church, so I'm just gonna be signing books. Not for free though. You got to buy the book and then I'll sign it, okay? Uh, so grab the book. I'm not going to preach on anything related to the book, uh, but, but I will be signing books and I'll, be, I'll hang out and sign books as long as there are people who want me to sign books. Amen? Amen. Come on, let's get your Bible. Let's get your Bible. Let's get your Bible. We're going to go to three places in Scripture today. I believe I got a word for you. I believe I got a word for you. Uh, the first place we're going to go is Matthew. We're going to go to the book of Matthew. And um, can we stand for the reading of the word? Can we stand to honor, 
to honor the reading of the word of God. I asked Pastor Robert last week, I said, hey, I'm so excited about preaching. Do you want me to preach a Christmas sermon? And uh, he alerted me of the fact that there are 13 Christmas trees at his house. And so uh, uh, in light of the season, we're going to preach a Christmas message today, okay? Uh, We're going to preach a Christmas sermon, and I'm excited about this. I do feel like I've heard from the Holy Ghost. So let's go to Matthew, Matthew, Matthew. Uh, We're actually going to go to Matthew chapter 1, Matthew chapter 1, and we're going to go to verse 22. If you got a Bible or if you're looking up at the screen, say, got it? it. Matthew chapter 1, verse 22. It says, all this, everybody say after me, come on, all this, we're going to have to talk about what the all this is in a second. We're going to unpack what the all this is, but everybody say, all this, All all this took place. To fulfill what the Lord had said through who? The the virgin will conceive and give to a son. And they will call him. I don't know if you know this, but Manny is short for Emmanuel, okay? That's a good name right there. I'm named after Jesus. Anyway, okay, come on. Uh, They will call him Emmanuel. And Matthew is so kind to tell us what Emmanuel means. It means God with us. That this God who because of sin has had to be far away has now what? Come near. That the God whose sin has created a chasm for now there is distance, this God God has decided to choose a Virgin Mary and break into human history. And this God is not content to just be far away or to live in a temple where you can only come once a year. But no, no, no. This is the God who says, I miss my people and I want to be near them. I would be content to be in heaven. If I was God, I'd be like, give me heaven. They can do whatever they want to. But love will make you draw near. And so Jesus' name is God with us because he's God incarnate. John uh, actually says it this way. Can we go to John chapter 1 for us? us. John says it this way. Uh, He says it in poetic fashion. You've probably heard this before. The word became what? Flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and full of truth. The word became flesh. The word became flesh. I think that's what we want every Sunday for the word to become flesh. Come on. We don't just want a word about provision. We want provision to become flesh in our life. We want the word to become flesh. And I want to give you one more, one more, one more verse. One more verse. Okay. You you feeling good? You feeling good? One more verse. We're going to go to Exodus. We're going to go to Exodus. We can put it up on the screen on the screens. We're going to go to Exodus. Uh, This is the moment where God gives the Ten Commandments, and God desires intimacy with his people. Uh, But but, but when the people start to see what intimacy with God actually looks like, they don't want intimacy, okay? It says this, when the people saw the thunder, uh uh-oh, and lightning, and heard the trumpet, and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear, They stayed at a and said to Moses, speak to us yourself. This is funny. Don't have God talk. Uh Uh-uh. Have God talk to you, and then you can talk to us. Because I don't know about all this thunder. I don't know all about this lightning. 
what do they say? Speak to us yourself and we will listen. But do not have God speak to us or we will die. Let's keep going. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The people remained at a they was like, nah, bro. Get somebody else to do it, okay? <laughs> Hashtag TikTok. Okay, come on. Uh, they remain at a distance while Moses approached, Moses, Moses, woof, approached the thick darkness where God was. I got, I, can I tell you my title? Can I tell you my title? Uh, I, 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 I think that you're going to get it when I say it, uh, but you'll definitely get it by the end of the sermon. The title for the message today, if you're taking notes, is the price of proximity. The price of proximity. Come on, let's pray. God, we thank you that you are here. God, when you show up, you speak. And so God, I've got a sermon, but you've got a message. So God, I'm going to go ahead and get out of your way so that you can talk to your people. God, I ask that you would speak a word today that is precise, that is powerful, and that can get us into proximity with you. God, we love you. Our ears are open. Our eyes are open. And our hearts are soft, ready to receive the word of the Lord today. In Jesus' name we pray. And we all said together, amen and amen. Come on, you can grab a seat. I, I was talking uh, to, to someone recently, uh, one, of my, one of my best friends, a brother of mine, uh, travels with me all the time. His name is Sam Perkins. He's on the front row and he's single. Anyway, so... I was talking to Sam, I was talking to Sam, and uh, I, was, I was telling Sam, Sam don't got no kids. Okay, he's single and don't got no kids. Anyway, okay. Uh, I was talking to Sam, who ain't got no kids, and I said, there's only two kinds of people in the world, Sam. It ain't black, white. It ain't men and women. There's just two kinds of people. People who have made humans and people who have not. I'm sorry, but the big, the big division is not between race or ethnicity or poor people and rich people. It is people with children and people that don't got no children. Now, when I had, didn't have no kids, when I was single with no kids, I would have disagreed with this. I would have had a problem with this. But then I went around and knocked up my wife, okay? I, I had, I, now I have a little human. He is 16 months old. And I can tell you from firsthand experience, nobody gets stressed out like a parent gets stressed out, okay? Nobody has the kind of joy that a parent has. Nobody, nobody has to wrangle children like a parent. And, and for all the dads in the room, I, 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 me, I, I gave birth. I, 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 I caught the baby. And my wife gave birth, but I delivered my son. Okay. We were, we were, you know, it was time to go to the hospital. We went to the hospital and the midwife, the midwife asked me, she said, are you the papa? I said, yes, I'm the papa. She said, do you want to deliver your son? I said, let's go. And for all the men in the room, once you got some kids, there are some things you've seen that you cannot unsee. There are some experiences that you've had that you cannot unhave. Uh, 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 being a parent gives you a certain perspective. I remember I was a youth pastor and the person I was working for at the time, my, my senior pastor, the boss, was like, hey, you, you're a phenomenal youth pastor, but you're going to be an even better 
youth pastor when you become a parent. Because right now, all these parents aggravate you. But when you have some little children of your own, you're going to understand that a child is the center of every single parent's attention. Uh, you think these people are crazy. They're not crazy. They're just parents. Parents, parents. And so being a parent has completely changed the Christmas story for me. Being a parent, I don't look at the Christmas story the way that I used to look at the Christmas story. I used to go to a church and see a whole nativity production and go, this is so cute, this is adorable, this is amazing. And now I, I read the first opening chapters of the book of Matthew, I read the first opening chapters of the book of Luke, and I can't help but look at this through the lens of someone who has experienced pregnancy, labor, birth and postpartum. Come on, all the real men, I need an amen. If you have walked with someone while they are pregnant, if you have gone and gotten Oreos and pistachios separately in the middle of the night, okay, uh, 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 and then you are going to see this Christmas story a little different because this, this, this is not just pregnancy, it's pregnant and labor. My wife was upset because I fell asleep during the hours while she was laboring. I was there to deliver the boy, but, but you better believe once the epidural wore off, she was like, you fell asleep last night. It's like, oh, I needed a nap, okay? It's <laughs> a long process. I was there for the epidural. I was there for the water breaking. I took a quick little nap and now you mad, okay? You mad. So if you have walked through pregnancy, labor, birth and postpartum with somebody, you see the Christmas story a little differently. The first detail that I want to point out to us, the first detail, is that they live, Joseph and Mary live in Nazareth. Everybody say Nazareth. Nazareth. These people live in Nazareth. They have to go to Bethlehem because of a census. Okay, Bethlehem, for all the Bible nerds in the room, is 95 miles away from Nazareth. Now, for any man who's ever been with a pregnant woman, 95 miles in an Escalade is a bad trip. My wife wasn't comfortable on a $5,000 mattress that I bought this woman while she was pregnant, okay? This man named Joseph puts this woman on a donkey. 10 months pregnant for a census. To give perspective, Waco is 95 miles from Dallas. It is a two and a half hour drive. It is a 30 hour trip on a donkey and homegirl is 10 months pregnant. This Christmas story is already starting really bad on unpaved roads on an animal. They get to Bethlehem, okay? They get to Bethlehem, and, and you know, my wife, especially with hotel reservations, she is like, that is your job, okay? If we get someplace, the accommodations is your job. This is my responsibility. Joseph clearly didn't make no reservations. They roll up to the inn, and the innkeeper's like, we ain't got no place for you. Now, the nativity scenes, they make it all cute, but let me tell you where they had to go give birth to baby Jesus. A shepherd's cave. You try taking your wife to a cave to give birth to a child. My, my wife was in a motorized 
bed in a hospital with an epidural and was still like, don't you dare fall asleep, okay? They are in a cave that smells like manure. They are in a cave that shepherds would keep sheep at night to keep them safe. And they place the baby in a feeding trough. This is not cute. This is what I would call, come on, I don't know for all the millennials, if you do this, if, I'm a millennial, so all of us, anytime someone has a baby, you know, you wait a couple of weeks, you go to the house and you tell the birth story. No, nobody does this? Okay, this is just me and my friends. Okay, cool. <laughs> this is what I would call a traumatic birth story. Not, the, okay, detail number three. Unannounced guests <laughs> show up to the cave moments after homegirl gives birth. Now, I don't know if you know child etiquette, baby etiquette, okay? You don't just show up to nobody's hospital unannounced or uninvited. And Pastor Robert did a great job of talking about this. Last week, there were not three wise men. Actually, most historians and most theologians say there's anywhere between 15 to 20 of these magi. 15 to 20 out-of-country visitors. You better bring gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You, you better bring something. 15 to 20 grown, sweaty, nasty men on camels got the nerve to show up to a cave. And I don't know you. You ain't my uncle. See, y'all been reading this story so sanitized. Y'all been reading the cute, little, nice, sanitized version of the Christmas story? I'm sorry, but this Christmas story's rough. And not as if that's not bad enough. The Magi show up, and then shepherds show up. Who are you? What's your name? The angel told us <laughs> to show up at this cave, and we would see something dope. You beg Did you bring gold? Did who are you? And to make matters worse, next detail. The Magi bring news that Herod is determined to kill this child. And so every child under the age of two is under threat of persecution. So they have to leave Bethlehem and make an international trip as refugees to go to Egypt to hide because Herod wants to kill their child. They left Nazareth probably thinking, we'll be back in a couple of days. Most historians, most theologians say that they probably got back to Nazareth when Jesus was five years old. They left with no diaper bag, no baby bag, no hospital bag just left Nazareth, like we're gonna go do this census real quick and we're gonna be back. They get to Bethlehem, they have a traumatic birth experience, and now under threat of death, they have to become refugees in a place they have never lived. And they gotta figure out how we're gonna get all this gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Anybody ever give you a gift and you're like, now what I'm gonna do with this? What? Thank you, thank you, but how I'm gonna transport all of this gold in frankincense and myrrh, how I'm gonna smuggle this into Egypt, how this gonna work, okay? And I think our problem 
is that we've talked about the power of proximity. We've talked about the perks of proximity. Oh, we've preached a lot of sermons on the privileges that come with proximity. But Mary and Joseph understand that proximity comes with a price. That this is not just a cute, fuzzy, warm Christmas experience. Mary has sacrificed her whole teenage years and her body and her reputation just to give birth to this Jesus. And I don't know if you're anything like me, but I would declare, I would conclude, God, if I'm going to sacrifice a lot, at least make the rest of the journey smooth. This was not in my plan. This was not, this was, I did not, in my five-year vision, I did not have, get pregnant by the Holy Ghost. <laughs> this is not, that was not, I did not have on my plan, make Joseph really mad <laughs> and wonder if I cheated on him. That was not on my plan. So God, let's just make a little deal. Since I'm going to give you my whole uterus, okay, so that you could like, I don't know, come into the world, okay? Since I'm gonna do all of that, at least, at least, at least let me have the birth experience that I want. Come on, come on, come on, come on. At least let me have, I'm gonna fill up the bag, the tub of water, I'm gonna have, Mary's one of the only women in the whole Bible that doesn't have a midwife there to help her deliver a child. Everything about this experience is uncomfortable, inconvenient. Everything about this experience is costly. Everything about this experience is dangerous because there is a price to proximity. If you want God to be in your life and all God ever says to you is you're fearfully and wonderfully made, I'm not sure you really have a relationship with God because if you really get close to God, God will say forgive them, but they didn't apologize. I do not care whether or not they apologize. If you really get close to God, God will say give me the whole check, but I was just thinking about tithing. No, 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 the whole check. If you actually get close to God, God will begin to say things like, yeah, 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 you're going to wake up at four and you're going to fast for 40 days. If you really get close, there is a price to proximity. And my fear is that we've preached all the perks and the privileges and the power that comes with proximity, but we have failed to tell a generation that it takes a lot of cost and a lot of price to actually be close to God. Proximity is expensive. For anyone who's been at the Toyota Music Factory for any other reason besides church knows proximity costs. You come see Chris Rock here or Alicia Keys here and you can sit up all the way in the nosebleeds, pay $18. Or you can pay the price to be close. And a lot of us would assume, if I'm already going to pay the price to be close, then it better be good. Oh, it better be worth it. But how many people understand that even though I've paid the price to be close, that sometimes being close comes with unintended consequences. Sometimes being close means that spit gets on my face because I'm too close to the stage. Sometimes being close means I'm in a splash zone. Sometimes being close, oh, come on, come on. So often we want to be close and then you get close and you realize I paid to be here and now I'm offended. For some, of the, for some of us, that's why you church hurt. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. 
He was a top giver, volunteered, paid to be close, and heard something in a green room that offended you. Baby, can I help you? Your faith was in a person. Your faith wasn't actually in God. If your faith was in God, you could be like, I, I'm not going to condone no sin, but guess what? As long as Jesus has not cheated on his bride, I ain't leaving the church. You can cheat on whoever you want to. My happy hip's going to be in church because I'm not going to use church hurt as an excuse to not do what the Bible says. For some of us, proximity has come with pain. Can I step on your toes? Uh oh For some of us, the reason that your life is dysfunctional is because you've never put a price on your proximity. Uh-oh. So everybody just got access to you. The reason that you're hurt and angry and upset all the time and disappointed is because you've never actually put a price tag on what it costs to be close to you. You can't respect nobody else's boundaries because you ain't got no boundaries for yourself. At some point, you are gonna have to realize if the price of being close to God is high, the cost of being close to me I can't act cheap and then have expensive expectations of everybody else. Ooh. Ooh. I can't be so afraid of rejection that I make my proximity inexpensive. Ooh. I begin to tell people I'm expensive and that's okay, I'll make it up to you. As long as my output matches what I cost, it's okay. That's okay. Okay, come on, let's work, let's work, let's work. I got a couple of thoughts about the presence. Can I give you a couple thoughts, a couple thoughts, a couple thoughts? The reason I think it's powerful that we've honored our volunteers today is because there are people who so value you being close to God, they'll show up here at four o'clock in the morning. They will show up here at five o'clock in the morning because there's a price to proximity. And there's some of us in the room, you've gotten to enjoy proximity that you didn't even pay for. You got to enjoy proximity that some volunteers paid for and that people that you don't even know their name, they've prayed for you and they fasted for you and they put out chairs for you and they put out pamphlets for you and they'll take care of your kids for you. And a healthy church, at some point, you've gotta have people who are saying, if somebody paid for my proximity, I'll pay it forward. Sign me up to volunteer. Sign me up to serve because somebody paid the price for me to be in a room where the glory of God showed up. So how dare I only be a consumer and never be a contributor? At some point, I am going to be the person who pays the price so that everybody gets to experience the glory of God. I remember my first time, I remember my first time preaching in Africa. I remember my first time preaching in Ghana. Flew into Accra. We got somebody from Ghana in the room. Call Air Five. One, two, three. Boom. I remember our first time preaching in Ghana. I'd never had this experience, Pastor Robert, never had this experience. We was, we was in the green room and, and I asked the pastor, I was like, what's that noise? coming from the sanctuary. And the pastor said, oh, 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 yeah, yeah, service starts at seven, but, 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 but thousands of people just get here at four. I was like, F four? <laughs> what they get here for? <laughs> Our worship team goes out on the stage when the people have created such an atmosphere. 
that we have no choice but to start service. Sometimes service is supposed to start at seven, but we started at six because the room is already filled. And I remember thinking, yeah, that's why they've got revival and we don't, because you complain about a two-hour service. Uh-oh, oh, I came. I, you ain't ready for me today, okay? You want 60 minutes nice and neat. Don't go over. Because we don't want to acknowledge that there's a price to having God close. This happens in Mark chapter 5. This is a phenomenal story, Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, Jesus sees a man who's got a legion of demons. That means a thousand demons in one person. He's got so many demons that he's confused about his identity. He says, we are many. He's like, okay. <laughs> Anybody start calling themselves we, I'm like, I'm out. <laughs> Jesus is like, no, I'm going to heal this man. Heals the man, casts the demons into the pigs. And when the town hears about it, they say, we want to expel Jesus from the town because their pigs is how they made their money. Because revival is expensive. The man that was healed of the legion of demons didn't have to be the last. But he's the only miracle that, got, that Jesus did in that region because the people valued their pigs more than they, they valued this man's life. See, what you value, what do you value? You value comfort, you value convenience. What do you value? You value your own ego. What do you value? Because the moment you begin to value God's presence above everything else, it is the moment where God begins to tell you to sacrifice and you go, that's my joy. He'll tell you to serve and you go, oh, that's my honor. God will tell you, I need you to give more. And you won't say now, you'll say absolutely yes, because I understand the value of being close to you. Come on, three thoughts, three thoughts. You ready? Number one. Most of us use worship as an escape. Uh-oh, 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 uh-oh. When worship is not an escape. See, let me help. Because if you got saved here, or if you've gotten saved recently, if you're an immature Christian, here's what can happen. You used alcohol as an escape. You used to use drugs as an escape. You've used relationships as an escape. And your secular lifestyle has trained you on how to use things as an escape. And if we're not careful, you'll bring that same habit into your relationship with God. And we'll interview and we'll say, what's your favorite part of church? And you'll say, worship is my favorite part. And we'll say, why is worship your favorite part? And you'll begin to say, because I forget about all my problems when we in worship. And when I'm in worship, God gives me peace. And when I'm in worship, I don't have my anxiety. And I'll look at you and say, well, then it's not worship because you've just made it about you. Worship is not about what it does for you. Worship is when you are so enthralled with who God is, when you are so enamored with the character and the goodness and the grace and the mercy of God that you do have less anxiety, but it's not because God just gave you a bunch of peace. It's because you stopped caring about the things of this world at the same amount that you used to care about them. And at some point, we've got to help you get this because worship is not your escape it's God's entrance Ooh. okay worship is not your escape from reality it's God's entry into your reality 
I, I, it would be awesome if Mary and Joseph's story is a story where God guarded them from all the drama and guarded them from all the trouble and guarded them from every inconvenient or uncomfortable thing. But this is not a story where the God who is with us guards us from everything. This is the fact that it's not the, it, the issue is not that I've got drama. It's I'm not alone in this drama. My worship is not an escape from reality. It's me saying, God, I am still anxious, but I'm going to worship you and I'm going to invite you to deal with all of this drama. Number two, number two. Can I give you my second thought? Ooh. God, I'm starting to sound like Pastor Robert. God, look. been here too long, been here too long. Okay, come on. Here we go. God's presence never shows up in the Bible without God's word. God's presence never shows up without God's word. And proximity doesn't just give you proximity to warm fuzzies and the nice presence of God. It gives you proximity to conviction. Gives you proximity. See, for, for, a, lot of the, the, for a lot of us, some of y'all, you're like, I love worship, but the sermon, I be getting lost. <laughs> the presence that we create at the beginning of the service, it's for God to speak in the next part of the service. The reason that you need to come on time, hello, <laughs> is because you miss the meaning of the word God speaks if you're not here for the trajectory of the presence that's in the room. God's presence always comes with God's direction, with God's word. Number three, I'm moving fast, we out of time. You ready? Praise is how we move from omnipresence to presence. Come on, okay. Everybody remember science class? Remember, you remember? You remember? No, you don't remember. Okay. <laughs> In science class, come on, eighth grade science class, you learned a principle. The keys can start playing. Everything sounds more spiritual. Somebody's playing keys. That's the preacher cue for we land in the plane. We're going to land the plane, okay? If you've ever been to like eighth or ninth grade science class, here's what you learn. That the weight of an object is based on the density of that object, okay? So how tightly compacted the molecules are, that's what determines what? The density of an object. The more tightly compacted the molecules are, that means the object is more dense. The word in Hebrew for God's glory, which is what happens when his presence shows up, that word is kabod. Everybody say kabod. And it means weight. This is what happens when we worship. God says, I inhabit one thing. I don't inhabit my people's joy. I don't inhabit your peace. Because if I were to inhabit your joy, your peace, sometimes I'd be homeless, okay? I'm going to always inhabit something that you have control over. I'm not going to inhabit anything that you don't have control over. I'm not going to inhabit your mood. I'm not going to inhabit your finances. I'm not going to inhabit none of that. I'm going to inhabit one thing that you can always do. I'm going to inhabit your praise. So here's what happens 
when we praise. The omnipresence of God, which means the molecules of the Spirit are all spread out all throughout the land. David says, where can I go to escape from your presence? God, you are everywhere. He's declaring that, God, you are the omnipresent one. You are at my job. You are at church. You are at my cubicle. God, you are everywhere. God can speak to you in a bar. He can speak to you in a nightclub. I don't know if there's somebody's testimony in the room. God found you when you were someplace that a church mama would never go, but God's spirit was there because God will pursue you if he cares about you. God's omnipresence means that he's everywhere. But here's what happens when we praise. The loosely connected molecules of the spirit start to gather themselves into one place at one time and God inhabits the praises of his people and God that goes from spread out starts to gather himself together and sits in a room and you don't get that just by having 15 minutes of some cute Devo time no you get that by paying the price to see the glory of the Lord in the land of the living you get that when you begin to say I'm going to play worship music on my way to church I'm not even going to wait for the worship team no I'm going to be mature I'm going to walk in with the glory of God on me I want the weight of God to fall in the room I want you to take me to my last passage Luke teach you a little Christmas lesson and we're gonna take up the offering and we're gonna go eat chicken well, I don't know about y'all I'm gonna eat chicken I want you to get this in the days are you getting anything from from the Holy Ghost today here we go in those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken in the entire Roman world. This is the first census that took place while Quinius was governing Syria. Keep going, give me the next slide. And everyone went to their own town of register. So Joseph also went up to the town of Nazareth, from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to where? To where? To where? The town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. Uh, and then we're gonna skip. You're gonna give me the next verse here we go. We're, we're skipping like three verses. It says this. Where are we? I need us to orient ourselves. Where are we? Bethlehem. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Here we go. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy in all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a, this will be a, to who? You, who's the you? The shepherds. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Why would this be a sign? I'll tell you exactly why this is a sign. Because these were not just normal shepherds. These, this is what the Bible calls Levitical shepherds. Levitical shepherds. 
Because in order to offer a sacrifice in Jerusalem at the temple, you had to offer a sacrifice of a lamb that was spotless, with no blemish, which meant that the Levites needed a whole town of shepherds just to raise sheep with no spots, no blemishes. So Bethlehem is the town that produced all of the lambs for the temple. Whew. These are not just normal shepherds. These are shepherds that have one job. Bethlehem is only five miles from Jerusalem. Every shepherd in Bethlehem knew their job. Provide spotless, blemish-free lambs for the temple. And what do you wrap a lamb in to keep it from getting spots? To keep it from any cracks in his bones? To keep it safe? A shepherd would take swaddling cloth and wrap the newborn lamb that they get from the cave and they would wrap it so that it would not injure itself or hurt itself so that it would pass the inspection when it got to the temple courts in Jerusalem. The reason it's a sign to the shepherds is they go to the same cave where lambs gave birth to their young and God said, I'm gonna use the same cloth that all of the lambs get used, get wrapped with to wrap my son because I am the one that's gonna pay the price. To be close to you, you think that you're the one paying the price. You'll never pay a higher price than me. From the genesis of Jesus' birth, the, the, the cross is already in view. The angel is revealing to the shepherds, this ain't just a baby. This is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. This is the one who will live a blemish-free, spotless life because he's not just gonna die for you, he's gonna die as you. He's gonna take your place. He is gonna receive the punishment that you should have received because of your sins. The shepherds go into the cave where they've seen the type in the shadow, but they've never seen the reality. They've seen hundreds of blemish-free lambs give birth to other lambs, but they've never seen a virgin named Mary gave birth to the last lamb. The final lamb, the last word, the last sacrifice. Sometimes if you think you're the only one paying the price, it can make you be stingy. Why would I pay such an exorbitant amount to be in God's presence? And God says, it's because I'm actually the one. You can bring all your gold, you can bring all your incense, you can bring all your frankincense, you can bring all your myrrh. It'll never value the blood that was shed for the remission of your sins. It will never add up to what I did for you. Don't you ever think that you are the one meeting me halfway. You are not meeting me halfway. I came all the way to you. There is nothing I'll ever ask of you that will ever measure the excruciating reality of the cross. God has
in proximity to you. We would like to thank you for being a part of our social global family. Please head to our website, socialdallas.online, and see the many ways you can stay connected with us from around the world. Thank you.